Let us worship our God. And turn with us to page 332. Let us sing together, Spirit of Faith, come down. And let us stand as we sing. page 64 in your hymnal 
today we're going to look at holy, holy, holy. There are several interesting things about holy, holy, holy. First of all, it was written by an Anglican, the words were written by an Anglican bishop in 1826. And you know, a lot of times the words are written, a poem is written, and a composer comes along and runs across them, and something clicks in his heart or head, and he or she makes up a tune to go with that poem. And then sometimes somebody sees, knows a tune and sees a poem and puts, together with, puts the poem together with an existing tune, and that's how we get our hymns. Okay, this one was an actual collaboration between the poet, Reginald Heber, and the composer, John Bacchus Dykes. And these two men got together on purpose and wrote a hymn about the Trinity, the triune God. Now, I need to tell you that in 1826, the Anglican Church did not allow hymns congregational singing to be done in the worship service. But Mr. Heber wanted this song sung on Trinity Sunday between his sermon and the creed. And the Anglican Church said no. And he would ask them every year until he died. And they told him no every year. But he was persistent. And he's given credit for that persistence in that we now have, well, even the Anglican Church, has congregational singing. Now, I do need to point out that fringe churches like the Methodists back in 1826, we were already singing. I don't know what happened to our rabble-rousing. We seem to have gotten away from that. But uh, (laughs) we may be getting ready to come back into some of that. At any rate, this song celebrates the Trinity. And you'll notice, if you look down, the name of the tune is Nicaea. Now, we do the Nicaean Creed from time to time. And at that meeting in Nicaea, the the theology of the Trinity was discussed and discussed and discussed. And finally, their decision was that we human beings, with our finite minds, could not truly understand this business of the Trinity. But that did not mean we could not worship a triune God. So that's what the Nicene meeting gave us. That's what this song gives us. And now if you're able, we'll stand and sing and worship this triune God with our song. So please stand if you can. Holy, holy, holy.
let us hear the story from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 24 through 35. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boat, boats and came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I assure you that you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all the food you wanted. Don't work for the food that doesn't last, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the human one will give you. God the Father has confirmed him as his agent to give life. They asked, what must we do in order to accomplish what God requires? Jesus replied, this is what God requires, that you believe in him whom God sent. They asked, what miraculous sign will you do that we can see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus told them, I assure you, it wasn't Moses who gave the bread from heaven to you, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said, Sir, give us this bread all the time. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The Word of God for the people of God. Now hear also these words from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord... I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one Spirit, just as God also called you into one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. God has given his grace to each one of us, measured out by the gift that is given by Christ. That's why Scripture says, when he climbed up to the heights, he emptied him he he captured prisoners and he gave gifts to people what does this the phrase he climbed up mean if it doesn't mean that he had first gone down into the lower regions the earth the one who went down is the same one who climbed up above all the heavens so that he might fill everything. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, 
and some pastors and teachers. His purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and, and blown around every wind, by every wind that comes from the teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to, de- to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ who is the head. The whole body grows from him as it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. The body makes itself grow in that it builds itself up with love as each one does its part. Again, the Word of God for the people of God. Okay, we heard the one again. One God, one faith, one baptism. And we are one in Christ. Remember now, I told you the two were the, the two within, you know, the selves of, of each of us that... Uh, Sometimes argue with each other and wrestle with each other, and uh, we have to make the decision which one we're going to show and which one we're going to trust and which one we're going to live by. What about three? Well, this is kind of where it gets difficult because there's too many threes. There's the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or what we used to call the Holy Ghost. Um, there's three. There's uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There's three. Body, mind, soul. There are a lot of threes. Now, somebody asked me after uh, last Sunday's service, they said, well, uh, you didn't talk about David and his sin Well, no, I was kind of saving that. And the scripture I didn't read today, I'll tell you a little bit about. Uh, You know, David had uh, been watching Bathsheba on her roof and uh, then invited her up to his house. And they uh, made love, and I'm sure they played some beautiful music. And then she was pregnant. And we read this story last week. He, uh, he called Uriah in from the battlefield where David himself should have been. And he wined and dined him and uh, sent him back to uh, Bathsheba, but he wouldn't go. He even got him drunk and tried to send him back to her, and he still wouldn't go. So when he sent him back to the battlefield, he went with a note that said, uh, put me on the front line. He didn't know that's what the note said, but uh, sure enough, put me on the front line where I can be killed in the next battle. 
It's hard to fathom David's mind at this point. I, you know, I think really it's, it's hard to fathom David at all because none of us has ever lived a life like his. I don't know any shepherds in the, in the congregation. Uh, we've probably got a few youngest childs, youngest children. Uh, but uh, there, there are not many Davids around. But, uh, you know, he has uh, patiently tried to be faithful to Saul and uh, now Saul has died, David has become king and uh, both Israel and Judah have, have come to recognize him as king and uh, he's got this power and it's just like everything goes right for him if he goes out to battle he wins whatever he does and uh, you know we, we tend to think this, this would be unrighteous or uh, something just wrong, but he already had several wives, and I, I don't know the difference really, but some of them were secondary wives. Uh, I guess that's some kind of pecking order, but uh, had plenty of wives, and uh, you think he might have been satisfied, but he wasn't. Well, anyway, after his sin, and that's exactly what it was, uh, sin in any number of ways, you could count at least two, and probably more, the prophet Nathan comes in. And he says, I want to tell you a story. Tells a story about a poor man who had one lamb, and he treated it like his own child. Fed it at his own table. uh, Gave it milk. It was his prized possession. A member of his family. And there was a rich man lived close by who had a visitor coming and he could have gone out to any of his flocks and killed a a lamb, but he took the lamb from this poor man, slaughtered it, and fed it to his company. Well, David hears that much of the story and he is angry. He is angry. That rich man deserves to be brought in, brought up to court, and tried, and maybe even put to death. How could he repay enough sheep to make up for the lamb that was like a child to this man? David was angry. Have you ever heard a story like that, that somebody was telling? Have you ever uh, had somebody telling you something and then all of a sudden you realized, wait a minute. They're not talking about the fellow down the road. Nathan, Nathan turned to David and said, David, you're the man. You're the man. Closest I ever came to this one time was uh, thinking about how we all criticize welfare. And uh, I, was, I was telling my Sunday morning congregation, you know, that it just bugs me too, you know, that people just sit around and do nothing, expect to be served all the time, and, uh, you know, they they expect everybody else to do something else for them, and they just feel so entitled, and so, and and it just, it really, really bugs you to see those things happening, and and then I told them, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, 
you think I'm talking about the welfare system. Oh, no, no, no. I'm talking about the church. Whoa, they got kind of quiet too. You know, because sometimes when it comes to church, we're like the welfare recipients. We want to take everything there is to be given without doing anything for it. Well, that could be another sermon, but uh, today I want to make it part of this one. You see, David, David realized in that story that he was the sinner, and he made his confession. Now, he still had to face the consequences of his sin. The child died. And uh, later on, his son Absalom rebelled against him. And uh, then later, Absalom took over the, the nation. And in public display, Absalom slept with his daddy's wives. Uh, but uh, David had to pay. Well, we know, we know the Bible story, don't we? Uh, doesn't hurt to hear it again. I love to tell the story, and sometimes we love to hear it. But, uh, you know, as the world goes headlong towards sin, and we do crimes as bad or worse than David's, and uh, none of us is without fault, God said, uh, I'm, I'm going to forgive them all, and I'm going to do it in this way. There was a child born in a stable, born in poverty. You know, there wasn't a birth announcement in the paper. His, uh, his family and, and the baby himself became refugees, fled to Egypt. And fortunately, they got back into their home country, and they weren't separated and they, they went to Nazareth, and the child was raised in a, in a very strict Jewish home where he was fed physically and nourished, but he was also fed on God's Word, such that at the age of 12, he impressed the scribes and the Pharisees when his parents went to the temple for the regular sacrifice some say that uh, for all we don't know of those times between 12 and 30 that Jesus might have studied more in the, there, there at the temple might have become a Pharisee himself but that's, that's speculation what we do know is that at the age of 30 he began preaching and uh, well, there were crowds drawn to him but like the, like the passage in John tells us today, some of those came to him because they had gotten their bellies full. They had enough to eat, and they wanted more. And uh, Jesus sometimes spoke mysterious words. You know, he said, I am the bread. And uh, unless you believe in me, well, if you will believe in me, You'll never be hungry. And if you will believe in me, you'll never be thirsty. Now, 
we still, you know, we still have that way of thinking of hunger and thirst as physical things. But we should know better. We should know better that we hunger and thirst for a lot of things. But maybe we don't. Maybe we've been taught enough to know that a lot of things aren't worth our craving and our hungering and our thirsting. That indeed, God does give satisfaction to those of us who would, who would rather be doorkeepers in God's house than to be living in the finest house on the mountain or in the valley. Maybe we found some satisfaction for that kind of hunger and thirst, knowing that God's love and grace are enough. Well, we're all somewhere in the process. <clears throat> and here's a process of three. Just by our own human nature, we're all sinners. The Bible says that very clearly. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there's not one of us that doesn't need to uh, ask forgiveness. But when it comes to that, we really don't have to ask so much as we have to accept because Jesus died on the cross to show God's forgiveness for us all. It's there, ready to be received. Now, I'm moving a step forward, forward, forward as I say this because what I say for you, we need to hear and think for the next person we encounter who may be somewhere else on this journey of faith, may not have even taken the first step. So the forgiveness is there, ready to be accepted, ready to be received. Now, John Wesley would call that justifying grace. No, he would call that prevenient grace. It's there before we start. Prevenient, here's another three. And when we accept it for ourselves, that's justifying grace. We're set right with God. Prevenient, justifying, uh, making our confession, accepting God's grace and forgiveness for ourselves. Those are two steps. And there's a third step that is, uh, well, really, it's, it's a lot of steps because it's the rest of our lives. Well, I, I learned in a, in a stronger way last October when I went down to Atlanta to a special uh, dinner and recognition of a professor of mine that uh, Martin Luther's Reformation included a statement that uh, repentance is not what we do to receive God's grace, but it's how we respond to God's grace. Repentance is the life we live after we've accepted forgiveness. We're forever repenting. Now, I know repenting is turning. And uh, sometimes, you know, it may be not a full 180. It, it may be a 15 or 45 degree turn. It may just be a correction of one way or another. But, 
But here's the thing. One, two, three. We, we accept God's grace by, as we make our confession, as we receive it. And then third, we, we've got to live the faith and live a, a life of repentance. Not to ever make ourselves worthy, but just to show that we have accepted that forgiveness. And we pray it frequently. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's the life of repentance, but it's, it's also a life of sanctifying grace that we might uh, each day be a little more holy, a little more saintly than we were the day before. That we might uh, see new ways that we can live into that grace and that we can be the real Christian that we want to be and that God wants us to be. Now, <clears throat> there's, uh, there's help along the way, and uh, part of that help is right here on the table. You see, uh, we're reminded <clears throat> frequently, every Sunday one way or another, we're reminded that we don't live this life by ourselves. We need one another, and we trust God's Spirit to be within us and around us and beside us and uh, between us and with us as church, as the body of Christ. And so we come where the, uh, where the ground is level together to receive the same gift, the same body, the same blood. We come as we are, trusting that God will make us all we need to be and all we should be. And we come again receiving. Worthy or not, we come receiving God's grace. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your kindness. We give thanks that you are the God who never fails. You are the God who picks us up when we do fail and when we fall. You are the God who would teach and guide and lead us in your paths to be more like our Savior Jesus, but always to recognize him as our Lord. As we share prayer concerns and as we give our offerings, we do so with thanksgiving and confidence that you are leading us into paths of service and ministry. To your glory, in the name of Jesus, amen.
Our hymn is number 365, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. <laughs> 